Hello and welcome to Kyle's Internal Monologue. This episode we're covering the uh, episode of Babylon 5 Season 1, Mind War. Um, so let's get started here. Mind War is a absolutely fantastic episode. It's um, probably one of the best of the first season. And uh, while not the best of, uh, not one of the best of the overall series, it, it if I had to rate like particular episodes that set up what is to come, and say which one is best, is probably one of the top setup episodes. Um, it's a fantastic, fantastic episode, and we also get the introduction of a character that I'm not afraid to say to, to wait till spoilers to say uh, best, Bester will be back. Uh, Bester played by Walter Koenig, uh, who you may know as Chekhov from uh, from Star Trek. He's he's absolutely fantastic in this. As a matter of fact, when I think of roles that Walter Koenig has played, I don't go to Chekhov. I go to Bester. Bester is to me one of his best roles. He puts in fantastic performance, and he is one scary villain. Um, absolutely, absolutely terrifying. Um, we, we, we see him in this, the, he's, we're not, there, there's more behind that surface, uh, like, he puts on airs of being this very, um, very aggressive psychop, um, who's very authoritative, but we don't have a lot of the nuance to the character yet, we'll be getting into that as seasons go on and we get more episodes with him, matter of fact, he's gonna prove so interesting that he gets an entire episode centered on himself that even changes the theme song to be about the psychor in season five i'm just pointing that out that he is one of the most popular villains in this series and one of the most charismatic uh that uh, that he gets a his own episode where he's the central protagonist and he's going around doing stuff and it's very very interesting but we'll get to that when we eventually get to season five in the episode the court is mother the court is father so first let's let's talk about some of the side plots uh before we get to the main central plot but i did want to i just wanted to mention bester at the beginning there um so the main subplot is uh catherine sakai uh who's a surveyor who's uh in relationship with sinclair as established in the previous episode parliament of dreams that uh she she's been hired to go survey uh this area called super 957 uh, that has strange activity there, but they are getting a lot of uh, residual energies of uh, deridium, which comes it comes as a byproduct of quantum forty, and uh, so she's she's has the potential to be a very profitable place. So she decides to go there, but because it doesn't reside in Earth Alliance territory, they have to get approval of the the territory the government that it it's in, which of course is the Narn regime. So they go get approval from Ambassador Jakar. And Jakar warns her and goes, you know, strange things happen there. You know, you shouldn't be going. And she insists on going. Uh, and what's nice about this is that, as I keep saying, Jakar at this point is almost a villain. He is always acting against the better interests of people. Um, he seems to be very aggressive. In actuality, he's doing that because of 
the cycles of violence between the Narn and the Centauri. Uh, and he wants the betterment of his people any way he can, and they feel like they've been trod under. So the only way in to, I guess, uh, get noticed is to be that very aggressive, to put on to put on the mask of this Narn barbarian, this Narn warrior almost. Um, and as time goes on, he becomes almost a priest, but I'm not going to spoil too much there. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll wait till another time. But he gives this uh, talk to Sakai, Catherine Sakai, and he says, not everyone here is exactly what he appears. N not, not me, not Lando, not Sinclair. Uh, and and it's all pointing towards the fact that Babylon 5 is much more shades of gray than anything else. There are straight good guys and there are straight bad guys, yes. Uh, but no one is exactly what they appear. That they can be more, they could be less, they can be many different things. Uh, Londo's entire story is about regret and shades of gray, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, so, Jakar is basically warning her, don't go, don't go, uh, and she, she suspects that he's going to do something about it. That's why, and, and that's why he's like, I, well, I, I of course expect you to think that, considering what you probably heard of me, which is why he says, you know, no one here is exactly what he appears. Uh, and then we get that scene where he contacts the Darn Homeworld and asks for a ship, and he's like, make sure it's heavily armed, you know, and, and it's there for the audience to go, oh crap, Jakar's gonna kill Catherine Sakai, how is Sinclair gonna react to all of this stuff? And then they show up and rescue her. Uh, because he has no interest in killing her. Why would he? It makes no sense. And, that, and that's why she asks when she gets back, why? And he goes, why not? It serves no purpose to kill you. Uh, and that this is last episode was trying to humanize him, create a bit more of a humorous tone out of his over the topness. Now, this episode, we're getting more of that humanity or non-unity, I guess, uh, in put into him via this, where we're realizing he's not all evil, he's not all aggressive. Matter of fact, he's probably arguably not even evil, uh, he's not even the villain. Uh, what a surprise. This is, once again, uh, JMS trying to play with the audience. I, I mean, I, his entire speech of if, if, I, if my action surprised you all the better is pretty much JMS winking at the audience and going, hey, if you stuck it out for these six episodes, stick around for a bit more because you're going you're, you're gonna to get some surprises because he's trying to do something different, something that wasn't done on American television before and uh, arguably has never been done as good my opinion, um, where you have these long ongoing arcs that are deeply character driven and you get surprises and twists and turns, uh, but at the same time it's all driven by the characters and what they want and how they react and sometimes they make mistakes. And uh, the speech he gives at the end, I can't really get into too much of the implications without going into spoilers, so I'll just say I love how poetic it is and uh and how he tries to explain to Catherine Sakai you know about the walkers of Signum 957 because 
you know, she shows up there, there's strange readings, the big gigantic thing shows up, she has no idea, uh, it, uh, you know, destroys her system, she, she's falling, she gets rescued, and she's like, what was that? And he describes it, you know, if I pick up this ant, and I sit it back down again, how do you think you would describe to another ant, what was that? Uh, it, it, it's difficult to explain. Um, you know, there are things in this universe billions of years older than either of our races. Uh, they're vast, they're timeless. If they're aware of us at all, it is little more than ants. Uh, and I think the Indiana speech where he says, uh, I'm both terrified and reassured that there are still wonders in this universe, that we have not yet explained everything. Uh, you know, whatever they are, Miss, uh, Miss Sakai, they must walk there, Usiba 957, and they must walk there alone. Um, fantastic speech, uh, and sets in tone many themes and ideas, but uh, I'll get into more of that in the spoiler section. But here in the non-spoiler section, you know, it, it sets up that idea of wonder, because in the, the, the main plot, we're getting a character that is literally ascending to the next level of human life non-corporeal life um so clearly there's still mystery in this universe that while we have all this advanced technology while we live out in space now and we've colonized many worlds space is still vast ominous and there are still things to explore uh and once again that optimism that pessimism uh babylon 5 exists both exist uh and congeal into something a bit more realistic um, it, it's just a fascinating speech, and I'll I'll talk more in the spoiler section. So let's go to the main plot, which has to do with Talia Winters, uh, who hasn't gotten a lot of focus since uh, Midnight on the Firing Line, um, and one of her uh, one of her ex lovers, Jason Ironheart, who was her instructor at the at the Psychor Academy. Uh, basically, uh, he's he was experimented on, and he's. He's come here for help, uh, but he's ascending to the next step of human evolution uh, that I'll get into in the spoiler section. Um, and the Psychops are after them. In this plot, we have a lot of things being set up. We have the Psychor really being set up, because, I mean, we got we got mentions of them, and we've had uh, that wonderful scene in Midnight in the Fiery Line where Susan Ivanova and Tally Winter sit down, and they talk about uh, what the psychor does to you if you're a telepath and they find out you're a telepath. But we've never had a real stake in the rules of the tele telepathy, how telepaths uh, coexist, uh, and things like that. And we're starting to get setups of that. So we have, you know, we, we find out about how scanning works, how deep scans can hurt you like hell, as we see when, when Talia is deep scanned. Uh, that you can block uh, various different uh, attempts to scan you. How you can you can find surface level thoughts, uh, deeper thoughts. How emotions are easier to ride than not the non emotive thoughts. How uh, you can you can devise intent rather than actual thought from surface thoughts. Um, how it's and uh, as we see in that comedic scene at the beginning, where Talia, while clearly not, uh, doesn't understand Garibaldi's thoughts, his surface thoughts are a bit, you know, you know, 
Letris because he's he's attracted to her, and so she gives him a little elbow because she knows that his thoughts are going to a more of mind in the gutter place. Um, so it's more about intent rather than thought, though you can get actual thoughts. And of course, you can project your voiceover, which uh, the uh, Bester and his lieutenant were doing uh, through most of the if through the most of the beginning of that episode until Seclair said, "Get out of my head! If you want to talk, talk." Um, the, the that we've been hearing the P ratings, but we've never understood them. So we, we, we get more info in how that works, like P5s are the commercial telepaths, as we've been hearing, uh, that P10s are instructors at the academy, and then P12s are psychops. Uh, and, of course, Ivanova brings up a wonderful point, who watches the Watchers? Or, who watches the Watchmen, as she puts it. But there's always going to be someone at the top of the food chain. There is no... You can't watch the watchers because then who watches watches the watchers the watchers who watches the watchers it's an it's a question with no answer because there can never be an answer because there's always going to be someone at the top and as we see the psychor is abusing this um they are i mean the, their garb is very fascistic very nazi-esque very secret police um they they don't make any uh bare bones about the fact that uh, that it's very very authoritative uh, and and how they simply view themselves as superior uh, and as as Ivanova says you know you, lady you are the problem uh, because of course Ivanova is very tense this episode because she's dealing with the psychor and she blames the psychor for the death of her mother and she naturally would hate them and of course, she's also very uh, sensitive to to that uh, by by the very nature of of her relationship with her mother and things going on there. And I will get into that sometime in the spoiler section. Uh, we, we get some interesting little uh, tidbits about uh, how uh, one one in every thousand human is a, is a telepath. And then one in every 10,000 of those telepaths are telekinetic. And then half of the people who are both Teeps and Teeks, uh, as they will be called in the series, uh, Teeps being telepaths, Teeks being telekinetics, are criminally insane. Half of them are literally insane. So, naturally, uh, the, the, the psychor who believes in their superiorness, who... I don't, I don't think it's too far to say wants soldiers for their army basically not not kind of uh we'll get more into that later of uh, they they want to ensure that more more stable telekinetics and telepaths can be made uh so that's where the experiment with ironheart comes in and as ironheart explains that they wanted him to focus on smaller things it wasn't about moving spaceships with your mind like you can do in star wars that's not what they were after what they were after was someone who can very quickly cause a brain aneurysm or uh you know just just silently close someone's throat and kill them it's a silent assassin who leaves no trace you know who can silently grip someone's heart and cause a heart attack close someone's you know uh veins and kill them through lack of lack of blood flow you know things like that it's someone who can kill without ever being found, a silent assassin. 
Um, and isn't that a scary thought? Um, some, you, you could be at a ball game and someone could kill you. Um, that's what the Psychor was after. Uh, they make that very clear. And Ironheart even says that the Psychor is slowly, slowly but surely becoming the authority on, on Earth. That they are, it's very clearly that they're pulling the strings. Um, so there's stuff going on with Psychor and then, of course, back on Earth that are all set up for things to come, but I'll get into that spoiler section. Um, and then, of course, uh, stuff to do with, um, Talia has this wonderful scene where that beautiful music by Christopher Franke plays. I think, I, I, I do really want to point out that the music in, in this episode is perhaps some of the best of the series it's very it's very ethereal very creepy very otherworldly it just brings the mind of the infinite the infinite possibilities of of space and what's out there and how beautiful and scary it is at the same time um which of course is a theme running through this episode um so she has a line where she's like, uh, have you ever made love to a telepath before? Um, because in real life, sex is the bonding between two people, oftentimes anyway, the, of, of caring, of loving people who deeply care about each other. And the emotional connection they form is much more significant than the physical pleasures that are going on. Now... Imagine you're a telepath. Imagine you can share your thoughts with someone else. And imagine how more impactful that emotional bond that comes through uh, lovemaking, it's exemplified. Um, she, she describes it as, as a constant set of mirrors until it dissolves and you become uh, one. It's the, it's, and the barriers are broken down. It's the only time in a telepath's life when the, their barriers are, where all the barriers are gone. Which, of course, is a big thing in this episode that be, because, as I described in Benai the Fire Lane, telepaths have to be policed, at least so they think. So, uh, they don't live freely. They always have to have certain barriers up and they can't truly be themselves. That one time they can truly be themselves and how significant that is, especially she was talking about how much he cared about Ironheart and how much he, he cared about her. It was clear that they bonded. Uh, people often describe love as you find the person that you can actually be yourself with. Um, I think that right there uh, is explains so much about the why telepaths uh would would glom onto that that they that they can lower their barriers with each other that their minds become one uh during during love making that makes sense and it, it just it, it's all about emotional bond rather than physical bond and that of course would make sense if you're a mentally based character so now at the end of this episode uh Ironheart gives Talia, before he ascends to the next state of being, he gives Talia a gift. That gift, of course, is that she had failed her uh, her telekinetic test to, be, to see if she was also a telekinetic uh, back in the Academy. Now she can move a penny with her mind. So clearly she's both a telepath and a telekinetic now. She's becoming something more. And that will become a little bit relevant later, though it will kind of get dropped off 
uh, due to reasons I will get into in the spoiler section, but I, I can say the, the actress leaves. So she won't be here past season two. So as a result, this storyline goes someplace, then stops, and then gets restarted another way. Um, so I will go into spoilers real quick. Um, so on the idea of Talia, there are two things I have to say. So um, I'll start with her gift. Talia's gift is, uh, is of course, she's supposed to be now one of the most powerful telepaths alive. Uh, she's supposed to go to like a rating P20 or above. Um, the thing is, is that Lita was supposed to be, uh, as in the gathering, was supposed to be the main telepath. She was going to get experimented on by the Vorlons and get turned into the special telepath. Um, then Patricia Tolman does not come back uh, until late season two. So Andre Thompson was hired on as Talia. Talia uh, is uh, supposed to be Control, which I'll talk about in a second, as well as is as well as going to be that special telepath because telepaths, of course, are required to fight the shadows and are a weapon used by the Vorlons in their crusade of ideology. Um, but uh, this was supposed to be the beginning of her ascending to this ultra-powerful telepath and telekinetic. And, of course, Byron... Uh, the, the, the entire thing in Season 5 were by, with Byron and whatnot, it's supposed to be... Talia, and then of course S Susan, who's now the commander of the station, having a hard time dealing with the fact that her lover uh, is both uh, vaguely a terrorist uh, and a cult leader, uh, and is trying to uh, stamp out the psychor, which while she believes in it, she's going about it the wrong way, kind of thing. That of course all gets dropped because Andrea Thompson leaves, Patricia Tallman comes back as Lita Alexander, and of course the original idea with the experiment of the Vorlons comes back into play. Um, it's it's worth noting that of course uh, we don't have any hints of it yet, but the Vorlons did create tele telepaths, and of course um, I've seen many people online and so forth argue, well, uh, who have never seen like the entire thing of, I find telepaths a bit strange that there's no way in the the next couple hundred years how uh, how we would suddenly uh, like telepaths would spring out of nowhere that that doesn't make any sense and that's more the realm of fantasy than science fiction um there's an explanation of course uh forlons created the telepathic gene uh and because it because telepaths uh harm the shadows and the shadows uh, trying to stamp out telepaths. That's why the Narns don't have telepaths, because they were wiped out by the shadows. And of course, as pointed out in season three, by uh, by Mr. Morden, of why do you think sort of a telepath appeared uh, nearly a hundred years ago? It's because the Vorlons were manipulating you. Um, and of course, that's why the Psychor is set up, is so that the shadows can turn the telepaths to their side and have them aid their conquest for or their quest for ideology. Um, which, of course, this is this is the result of of multiple races being stuck between two other races fight for ideology, and it's a war of of pure stupidity. Basically, it is pure. I'm right, you're wrong. 
uh, kind of thing of I and as Jameis says, the only way to stop it is to metaphorically kill your parents. Um, Talia's uh, relationship with Ironheart is interesting, especially when we consider the reveal next season, where we get we get introduced to her uh, genetic mate in the Psychor, as we'll find out that basically in order to ensure. Uh, a certain amount of telepaths are born of a certain level, they they force breed you. They they basically force marry you, arrange marriage you to someone of a of the same size level or higher, in hopes that you will produce a child that uh, will be that your size rating or higher. Uh, and uh, as we find out, Bester even has one. Like everybody in the sector has one, and of course, it's interesting that you. Uh, that's why taking lovers in the sector isn't all that odd, because as we find out, you know, Bester has a family and several children. He also has a woman he deeply loves. It's not his wife. Uh, just like you know, Talia has a bondmate. It's not the man he uh, she loves. The the man she loves is Ironheart. You know. Um, and of course, uh, going on the theme of the Psychor, um, we get uh, we, we get the setup of uh, the the antagonism between Garibaldi and Bester of anatomically incorrect, uh, Mister Garibaldi. But you're welcome to try. Um, and that that of course sets up the fact that they're going to be very connected in the future um, with the entire mind control and and all that jazz, um, and. Uh, we also get Jack shows up for a brief minute. He's not named in this episode, but he, of course, is a character uh, that it, that that was there, and they, they showed up. They showed the psycho emblem. He lit them in and whatnot. He's, of course, the person that will shoot Garibaldi in the back, and he's working for the psycho. And um, it, it, it's, it's noticeable that um, the, one of the main people in the deep scan, the, the psycho deep scan, is Talia, she's control she's an agent working for them so uh at least she part of her personality is her subconscious personality so uh it's interesting maybe they were issuing commands to her and whatnot we'll get into more of that later um so before i end this episode i'm going to talk about um basically the the setup of the walkers of sigma 957 they of course will be back they're part of the first ones they're one of the few first ones that are still around and of course the irony is that you know must they must walk there alone until season three where we try and draft them into our war uh and then zug does zug mean yes does zug mean no uh in uh no wonder they must be french uh, you want if you don't, if you're listening to spoilers but don't watch Babylon Five or or whatever, watch it for the first time. Uh, you will understand that when we get to season three. Um, and just the sheer power of everything that uh, these are beyond our comprehension, and we are a little more than insects to them. Uh, we we see this in not only Chikar's speech but also uh, just the way they quickly dealt with Sakai and then just left. Um, as as Jakar puts it, there are races billions of years older than either of us. Uh, they're vast, uh, timeless. Uh, 
this universe is very, very old, and it would be pompous and arrogant and absurd of us to assume that we're the only ones to achieve this level of technology. Um, there have been many before us, and there will be many after us, which, of course, serves the concept of when Ironheart ascends to the next level of being, he says, I'll see you in a million years. As we see later, uh, it, we will ascend to a level of almost godhood. It's not quite. We're going to be ascending to the level of the Forlorns. Non-corporeal forms, they, they, they have both corporeal and non-corporeal forms. Um, they are they are the shepherds for the younger races and that we will eventually become that we are slowly becoming the vorlons uh that is the point the cycle repeats itself um it's all about ideology and parenting the next sets of races to become what they should be uh, and of course the only way to become who you truly are is to move away from your parents and discover yourself hence the metaphorical kill your parents thing part of this you know uh <laughs> it, 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 as sheridan says you're 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 fighting uh you're, you're like two two parents fighting in front of their children not for their benefit but for yours making them pick a side but what if we choose not to um we can stand on our own so fantastic episode uh, there's there's a couple other spoilers that I'm not going to get into, uh, like Jack the, the Jack the Ripper comment is kind of funny considering Jack the Ripper himself will show up in this series. Yes, if you don't watch Babylon Five, that may seem a bit odd, but it will make sense when we get there. Um, but uh, I think this is a fantastic episode, probably one of the best, if not, uh, yeah, it's not de it's not the best of season one, but it's definitely top five of season one. Uh, matter of fact, I did a I I did on the Daily Phantom a website that I write for. Uh, I did a top five Babylon Five episodes for every season for the 25th anniversary last year. So um, look that up, Daily Phantom Babylon Five. It should be some of the first stuff you see. You'll notice that Mind War is on that list. So uh, thank you for listening, and you can follow me on. Uh, on uh, Twitter at Kyle Share and on uh, Instagram at Kyle J. Share. I post uh, previews of my comics, things about writing, uh, all that jazz. Uh, and of course, I have a new comic up called The Path You Choose to Walk. It's a 14 page fantasy story. I also have a sci fi psychological thriller story, a, a comic that's up that you can read called uh, All the World's a Stage. Uh, and you can support me on Patreon at Kyle Share if you like those comics. Feel free to support me as uh, I wish to be able to write comics for uh, the foreseeable future. I'm turning it into my full time gig, would ensure that. Uh, thank you for listening and see you next week. <laughs>